This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're halfway through. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 5, Children of the Royal Sun. I told your mother you were a good cop. Should I go back and revise my opinion? Just say it. One, I don't know who you are today. Two, I know you're hiding something about last night. Three, you've been up and down like a yo-yo, and that makes me nervous. Because four, I don't feel like stepping into a dangerous situation with an unstable armed yo-yo at Look, my side. I'm fine. What happened with your brother? He told me some things. What things, it's Chief? It's private, Lewis. It's family. Okay. But we do this, we go in there, we risk our necks, fine, but we are focused. We are by the book. Or we call for backup and hand this over to a better team. You know there's no better team, Lewis. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We are talking about the fifth episode of Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Children of the Royal Sun. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Dreadfuls. I am one of your other hosts, John. And I am the other unstable yo-yo in this group. (laughs) I am Chris. (laughs) You know, it took me a while to choose what the quote for this week would be. And one of the things I absolutely hate doing because I feel bad doing it is editing out curse words. Uh, from dialogue from TV shows, uh, purely because I think it's really bad of me to edit out their dialogue. I didn't write it. Why do I get the right to edit it? But I just can't use curse words on the podcast, unfortunately. As some of our long-term listeners know, we have a, a rating for a podcast, which means we can't use curse words on it. Uh, and I can't, Damn. Change, I can't change it because with 500 episodes of the show, I'd have to go back and change it all, change it for every single old podcast. So, uh, That's good for sake. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. That'll give me a little extra edit uh, on the road tomorrow. <laughs> to uh, road to release tomorrow. Sorry, of course. I'm not going to be on the road editing a podcast tomorrow. No, don't that, do that. That could be really interesting. It's kind of like the roving producer editing. Now, admittedly, over the years, you know, the five, six years we've been podcasting, I did edit on a plane to Thailand. Uh, I've edited yep. uh, beside a pool in France. I've edited the podcast. So I have edited in some weird places over the years. Like yes, you this. have. Uh, definitely a hotel room in London. Uh, did that. Yeah, uh, and twice. in New York. And in New York for New York Comic Con. We've recorded in New York as yeah. well. Yeah. I've recorded in New York. That's true. Yeah, he was in an apartment in New York when a fire alarm was going off. Yeah, lots. Oh, of, yeah, that was great fun. Lots of weird <laughs> stuff over the last six years. <laughs> I didn't burn down. I am not. Santa Muerte did not raise me like Raúl. <laughs> yes, it was just an, ev- an evacuation that was going on, wasn't it? You weren't uh, yeah. weren't actually on fire, which is pretty no. good. No, I am hot, but that's besides the point. Very true, Chris. Very true. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but we're back for uh, Children of the Royal Sun. Yes, we are. Yeah. And as we're halfway through the season, we'll give a big shout out to our wonderful Patreons who've been supporting us uh, throughout the year this year since we started our Patreon. I uh, got two brand new Patreons in the last week. Uh, guys, we got uh, Cassandra McIntosh and Jenny V, uh, who supported us over on Patreon. Um, we did mention last week that we'll be recording an exclusive Patreon movie chat about uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier in the next week or so, uh, and that'll be available exclusively over on Patreon. So, uh, Cassandra and Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. You'll be able to get access to that podcast, well, once we've recorded 
and put it out for you. You'll get access to it, but you'll be able to get access to that in the next couple of weeks. So thanks so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Cassandra and Jenny, for the support. Really, uh, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Viva Rendetta, and my favorite uh, 1990s personal computer. Macintosh. Uh, time. Yeah, Macintosh, 1990s, <laughs> early 1990s. Yeah. See, I thought you would have gone for Cassie, as in Ant-Man's daughter. Oh, yeah. I could go Cassandra Kane if that's better. Oh, maybe, there. maybe. That's, well, that's pretty yeah, good. There you go. See, that's exciting. More on... More on brand with the comics absolutely <laughs> and thank you again to all of the rest of our patrons uh, you can support us over there on patreon.com slash tv podcast industries but if you don't want to support us on patreon or can't support us at the moment we know th- times are tough you can support us by giving us a review over on itunes or by sharing the podcast as as usual share it with uh, everybody else that you know that's watching penny's dreadful city of angels Yes, because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. We actually did get a couple of brand new reviews specifically for the Dreadful podcast because it is dreadful by name, but not in nature. First up, we had a five-star review. Thank you so much for Saddlesore98, because that's just an amazing name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very cool. cream on it. Yeah. They said, best podcast this season of Penny Dreadful. As I said, five stars, and they said the beautiful words, very insightful recap of the show. I always look forward to their thoughts. Thank you so much, Saddlesore98. Thanks so I much. You, you get them looked at? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Saddlesore. We also had US Whocast. Who? Yes, US Whocast. They said thoroughly entertaining five stars. And the description was very detailed and a considered podcast covering a great show. Yes, the Who cast in the US are know us and I would say who, but that's still good. Five stars. I'm so happy. Thank you. (laughs) I was presuming that's a Doctor Who cast, Chris. Uh, Doctor Who podcast, sense. yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know the way yeah. some people shorten it down to cast uh, when they talk about podcasts because they're cooler than us. Uh, we go for TV podcast industries to make it almost impossible to find <laughs> us. So thanks so much to everyone that's found us on iTunes and given us uh, some reviews as well. Uh, we also got a review from Lizno. Uh, Give us another five stars and said, truly enjoyable. I love the banter among the hosts. We don't have banter. No, we don't. We, we have, have crack. We have... Um, <laughs> Con- not conniptions, because that's a bad one. Mm. What do we have? We have crack. We definitely have... We have banter gib- as we have, well. We have banter. We we have, have well, no, banter. I don't want banter. Yeah. It's more gibberish. <laughs> and gibberish, yeah. We have yeah. gibberish, banter, and crack, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Thanks, Liz. No. sounds like a good night. And, and thanks, USU cast. It does sound like a good night. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Just again, in case you don't know... That uh, in Ireland, crack is just a bit of fun, right? So this is this show is only showing in America and in uh, Canada and in Australia. So uh, they may not be aware. That's that crack true. Crack is being fun. spelled C R A I C. Don't yes. want don't want Diego uh, knocking down our door to arrest us for uh, <laughs> having crack in our podcast. Room. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we also got an iTunes review for TV podcast industries as well. Great podcast, five-star review. Love all these shows these guys cover. The pub quizzes are great fun too. And that was from the Steve 38 Thank you so much, Steve, yep. for that review. Really we know who that is. We do, yes. Steve Brown. Steve Brown, yeah, really what good. Wonderful contributor to our feedback. Yeah. Yes, he is such a wonderful contributor. Shame he's lying about the pub quizzes, though. That's just like blatant misrepresentation. I'm just... <laughs> 
It's just because you don't participate in them. Exactly. It's true. It's exactly. True. <laughs> yeah, they are great fun. They're so much fun that John's actually still trying to put together his pub quiz for our 500th podcast, which will be coming up at the end of this season of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Yeah. So only got five more weeks to go, John. I know. Lots of prep required. I Loads feel of prep. Old. Yes. Loads Podcast of prep. old, not really old. Another thing, Chris, is because you don't drink when you do it. That's the problem. Mm. As, that's why I always say. Grab yourself a drink. That's true. That is very to true. To soften the blow of these mind-bending, really difficult questions that I'm throwing at everyone. <laughs> well, once again, thank you to everybody that's uh, that's set us up. Thanks, shared the podcast, and uh, joined our Patreon as well, and given us some reviews on iTunes. It's been really good of you. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Thanks, everyone, for all the support. Really good going, for sure. Uh, right, yeah, on to Penny Dreadful. City of Angels, Episode 5, Children of the Royal Sun. Mm. Derek, who directed this episode? The episode was directed by Roxanne Dawson. It's directed some of the biggest TV shows out there at the moment and uh, did uh, House Cards, This Is Us, The Americans, also directed an episode of Marvel's Runaways, uh, three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, probably well known to a lot of us that grew up in the uh, 80s and 90s as uh, Balala Torres on Star Trek Voyager, the half Klingon, half human crew member on that show as well. So started out in acting, uh, directed two episodes of Voyager and then continued on working within Star Trek and now within loads of other shows. So uh, great to have her on board uh, for Petty Dreadful City of Angels. Yes, Lieutenant Balana Torres, indeed. I, I still remember so fondly Voyager, um, but at the same time, I I can't remember a standout episode of Balana Torres just because... They all blur into one memorable character, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was pretty central to the show. She was there from right at the start, and then uh, as part of the Maquis, and then continued throughout the show. Uh, sorry, fellow Penny faithful, uh, we did cover Star Trek Picard quite recently, so I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. So uh, that's why all this stuff is stuck in my head. <laughs> um, the episode was written by Jose Rivera. Did you get that, guys? I didn't say John Logan. This episode was not. <laughs> I know. I'm clutching shocker. my pearls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> not on a podcast. Yeah. Please. Otherwise, you'll be speaking soprano. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only episode that is written by Jose Rivera uh, for Penny Dreadful. Uh, and the first one, as I mentioned before, not written by John Logan for this series. He had a couple of episodes in season three of the original Penny Dreadful, also not written by him. But I guess the extension of the show to 10 episodes means a couple of other writers can come in and, uh, and get a main credit for, for the episodes. Um, Jose Rivera is probably best known for writing The Motorcycle Diaries, the movie about the early years of Shago and the movie adaptation of Jack Kerouac's On the Road as well. Ah, um, excellent yeah, stuff. Two really good movies. There. Yeah. I have seen neither. Really? But by, by, by writing alone on this episode, I may actually clutch my pearls and sit down and watch them. I really don't think I know how to use that term properly. <laughs> I don't think you stop clutching your pearls, Chris. <laughs> That's not how you use that. That's not definitely not how you use that phrase. Um, so I, I know it's a terrible, terrible thing, and it's probably a shame on my um, cinematography kind on of all your houses, days. Chris. Yeah, yeah. But um, you could hold it against me. Um, I, I but I've seen some things that most people probably have never seen <laughs> multiple times. I've watched Encino Man slash California Man in the Army now, Jury Judy, and most importantly, the seminal work Biodome. 
If this was Game of Thrones, it would be curses on all your houses, Chris. There would be red, blue, green, and yellow weddings all over the show. <laughs> oh, just people like stripping me naked, walking down the street, going shame, shame, yeah. shame. <laughs> Something like that. Especially yeah. after those five movies that you mentioned. <laughs> uh, I'd highly recommend Motorcycle Diaries. I thought that was a really good film. Um, yeah, definitely check that out if you, if you do get the chance. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Mateo Vega grapples with the aftermath of the murder of Officer Riley, but Rio puts him at ease. Josefina Vega confides in Sister Molly, who's shocked to discover Josefina is Tiago's sister. Meanwhile, Tiago and Lewis's investigation takes them from the Sonora Town slums to the Vega house, while Dr. Peter Kraft receives an alarming phone call from Elsa, asking for help to bury her murdered husband, Mr. Branson. Dottie Minter warns rocket scientist Brian Koenig to keep clear of the Nazis as Kurt watches on. Alex lectures Councilman Townsend about his own connection to Kurt. As Tiago discovers and confronts his brother for the murder of Officer Riley, Matteo is unrepentant, but Tiago sets him free as Lewis captures another member of the Pachuco gang, Diego. A big episode this week. I'll call this out quickly before. And I was going to keep this for notes, but if you did follow our Dreadful podcast as we went back through the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful, this is very similar in tone to season two, episode five uh, of the original Penny Dreadful, where basically it's sexy, <laughs> sexy time Penny Dreadful. on Penny Dreadful, where every character has sex and there's a something behind uh, every manipulation or every type of uh, relationship that's going on in the show and it all culminates or comes to a head as we said at the time uh, in this episode yes absolutely <laughs> well i tell you what from this uh, episode i would certainly like to be a tailor um i would certainly measure that in a leg um for sure <laughs> i i feel really bad for the actor on this part because i was just like you have a whole crew with you mm -hmm. you have a fantastic actress who is not half bad on the eye. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to, it's probably a cold set and you're butt naked. <laughs> and then you got a guy who's not too half bad either to mm -hmm. the eye. And at the whole time, you have to kind of just stay in character, like where you're, what's, what do they call them? Merkins? No, it is a Merkin. Yeah. Um, so, my God, this is probably one of the hardest scenes, and I'm using that term <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, for a, a, a young actor. I don't know. I think he can play it off that he's uh, he's in character the whole time, um, if anything does pop up uh, during the scene. Well, absolutely. Um, he, he could be called the tailor of Panama, just to keep with the Latin American theme. Hey, look at you! Well done! I mean, I was just thinking, well, the next time I go to get a suit fitted or something like that, say, for example, a wedding suit, and, you know, would would the tailor expect me to sort of... Lay down with him and his... Well, not necessarily lay down. <laughs> I was just thinking more that he would take my measurements whilst I was <laughs> a very uh, unclothed. It's a very hopefully, different tailor, Chris. <laughs> hopefully, Chris, he wouldn't do that. I think that would be um, maybe slightly unprofessional. Especially <laughs> if you were going for your wedding suit as well. But if that was the way that you... <laughs> if that was the way you had to get measured up for your, your new suit, 
Uh, and the weird thing is, is because they're so baggy, it's almost like they're not really measured up properly anyway. So, well, that was the part I was kind of like, <laughs> do, do, when you're doing a zoot suit, do you not just go super big on everything? It looks like it basically looked like you stole Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Jordan's suit and put it on a ten-year-old. That's apparently part of the original origin of uh, the zoot suits was that they were. Uh, suits bought cheaply because they were oversized so they were ill-fitting suits was how they started in around 32 33 um, but by the time it had come up to this stage the bigger members of the community the most the most important members of the community would want to make sure they have a proper tailored suit suit that's made to fit perfectly even though that's baggy doesn't mean it can't be fit perfectly that to is be true. the perfect bagginess let's say uh, and i suppose Rhea does point out that the reason why he's stripped naked is actually because he's covered in the blood of the person he just murdered the day before. So unless you go for your wedding suit fitting after murdering someone, John, I doubt someone uh, will ask you to take off. The well, well. <laughs> it's interesting you should say that because no, no, I, no. I, I did think that uh, we should save this for the podcast. Probably. But I, I do think that, well, this is the podcast, but I, it, I do think, sorry, it's getting very metaphysical now, but <laughs> like, I do think that, um, you know, it was like she was taking it off uh, the clothes so that she could, you know, he could go for a shower or bathe them down and all that. And then kind of went, oh, I can kill two birds with one stone here and measure them up for the suit whilst <laughs> I'm doing it. And then all that was bypassed as they basically went into a hot steamy threesome, yeah. uh, which I'm surprised still happened. As you mentioned, Derek, when a flick knife is thrown at the wall, I think any kind of passion I would have at that stage would soon yeah. deflate. Yep. Yeah. Quite, uh, quite with big. with a knife sticking into the wood, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> so, so speaking of deflating and uh, and and other really bad segues, let's talk about some uh, big moments from this. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just I, I, that was a terrible segue. I'm gonna own it. It, it is I a tried, great I tried, segue. I tried. I tried. You know, Chris. You know, it being our big moments for the episode really just could have been your segue if you hadn't <laughs> tried too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like the, the term of deflation and big. So it, it's a big moment. We're going to deflate it. And we're going to deflate those okay, big moments by handing over to John. Yep. Trying too hard, Chris. Don't worry about it. You're ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And screw you. <laughs> it's going to deflate this moment by handing over to John. <laughs> well, my big moment is... That love is in the air mm. in Los Angeles. I, I did call it Sexy Penny Dreadful back for the original uh, first three seasons, but I'm thinking, you know, love is in the air. I kind of thought that was maybe a bit more in keeping. Um, and definitely love is in the air in mm. Los Angeles. Uh, you know, we have a threesome, a sexy, sultry threesome uh, that segues from a, a, a coat fitting we have a a twosome that looks very wholesome and uh, sort of ethereal in a sense. There's date night as well. Uh, and we have the love scene involving wood. And by that, I mean a wood. Mm -hmm. um, but it probably does involve Peter Kraft's own uh, wooden implement as well, shall we say. But he is, yeah. I'm sorry. This is this is because I pointed out it that is. this is a PG <clears throat> podcast, isn't it? That's the reason why you guys have gotten so innuendo heavy in this episode. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I really am. <laughs> all right, let's all Come back to being adults. Yes. yes. We'll try. We'll try. Exactly. 
So, I think to begin with, you know, we have... I'm going to go Elsa and Peter, first of all, because, you know, right at the start, we see Elsa effectively picking a blood bag for herself Mm -hmm. um, so that she can kill this poor unfortunate, effectively pass him off as her husband, Mr. Branson, in order so that she can effectively ensnare um, Peter more or bring him deeper to her, so to speak. And Mm. um, I think, yeah, that was kind of interesting that they ended off making love um, on the freshly dug open grave of this poor unfortunate from from the bar um, just after they buried him. But the one thing I did really, really enjoy about the scene was just because they're both from Germany the, the the setting the lighting of it all was really it felt brothers grim yeah. it, it felt like you would see yeah. it was moonlit and, and all this kind of thing and i thought you know the two of them they're the immigrants from germany and mm-hmm. um, the, these tales from their own childhood from their culture of the brothers grim and it felt very brothers grim and it was a grim act in that he was hiding um this dead body um, as a doctor, so I mean that's even worse. I mean it literally is um, to protect Elsa. You know he certainly has no love lost for Mister Branson, given what web of of tales and lies that have been spun by Elsa. But it ended off with them uh, frolicking on this freshly dug grave. Yeah, that was truly grim. Just quickly, you've been referring to this guy that she murdered as uh, as a poor unfortunate. Um, they were of great pains to point out this is someone that was just wanted to go home, have sex with her and hurt her uh, at the beginning of the episode. Even though this is a demon Magda, the guy that she picked up for the bar, they also did highlight that he's probably yeah. not the greatest of people himself as well. So didn't deserve to be murdered and uh, stuffed into a grave and then have two people have well, sex on top I, of that grave as well. Yeah. But I think that's where out. I'm coming from. I think yeah. no matter what his sexual preference may have been, because it could have been for bondage, in which case that's what all she could have been mm-hmm. asking you know you're gonna hurt me so it could have been whips and chains and and all this kind of stuff and yeah. um, it, it could have been slings you never you name it <laughs> then that's there's nothing people yeah, consent on that and yeah. um, her whole plan was so that he would play dirty with her she would have the, those those red marks those bruises yeah. in order to uh, make the the scene that she sets uh, more convincing for for Peter Craft, um, and you know he has no love for uh, Mister Branson, as I say, from her tales. But in the end, this was not Mister Branson. This yep. is not her husband. And um, Frank, indeed, is still inside her, right. uh, rather yeah. than he has gone out to to play and and stay over somewhere. Yeah. Um, he is literally. You know, just snuggled into her belly, <laughs> in, in, effectively. I love that Peter didn't ask any questions at all uh, when she said, "I've sent, <laughs> I've sent Frank away," and you just get Peter kind of going and just moves on with the conversation about the murder of the husband because he doesn't really care at all. Um, she told him in the past that she has zero friends, zero family, and can't escape Mister Branson. Like, so where would she have possibly sent Frank off to? The only other people that she seems to know in LA. Yep are Peter and his, and his kids. So <laughs> he left them behind to join her. So, but he wasn't going to ask any questions. It seems fine enough to him. Um, and now we know how weird, uh, Dr. Kraft is. Um, yeah, sex yeah. on the grave of a person you've just buried. I don't know. That just seems excessively weird. It felt like a quickie. It felt like yeah. the, the moment overtook them. Yeah. Uh, certainly maybe for him because 
He's obviously been trying to distance himself from what happened at the party, you know, playing happy families, playing sorry with his kids and, mm. and his wife. Uh, you know, and his wife, Linda, kind of says, I thought we were trying to make a go of it, like a, a fresh start. You almost got that sense. And then like the she, of happiness couldn't last, you know, yeah. in, in true fashion, puts the face on, lights up a cigarette when he basically is not convincing her of, of why he's yeah. about to leave uh, to uh, to go off so, to hospital. Two, three mm-hmm. quick things uh, from this one. The first one is I love Magda's uh, version of the TikTok swipe challenge. Um, that's exactly what happens in this. She's just walking as Magda through. I, it was just so f- flawlessly done, the transition from Magda mm-hmm. to Elsa, to the point where I, I, I was like, oh, how did, did they just like get everyone to, and freeze now say exactly those positions for the next 15 minutes when we change um pretty much i'm sure i'm sure i was gonna actually ask you to explain uh what a tiktok challenge is chris because i'm old um but i think i get that one i think i understand what that yeah, would be it's basically they swipe in front of the camera yeah. and it, you they change there them. um on the the bruising and the things like that it is magda so she's able to create any facade anything mm-hmm. so very much the the blood bag was just that yeah. she needed a body yeah. um but i've been wondering and i've i've brought it up before what is the end goal with Pete? Mm-hmm. and i'm starting to think again it's it's uh, join chris with his crazy delusions <laughs> and uh, ideas of where the story might be going could it be that he was a nazi doctor in essence uh, a Nazi doctor who potentially did some very bad things with gas or uh, chemicals or XYZ. And Elsa is going to bring him along uh, and like basically because he, he, he it's not like he can do anything with the Nazis party. Not the actual, the, the bad Nazis, but the actual, the union Nazi party. Um could it be that he, like, potentially it's like he was a gas doctor or something like that? And that's where she's going to go, okay, now build me a bomb. That's the next step. It could be something like that. It's just, I, I, she, she now has him hook, line, and sinker. So no matter what, she mm. can go, you, you buried a body for me. You, you, you are mine. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Linda talks about what he did in Essen with respect and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possible that he could have been a doctor um, at one of the earlier kind of forced labor camps and concentration camps. Um, I think technically, while there was like there, there wasn't as a such an Auschwitz, I, I, I don't think by 1938. Not to say that yeah. I think Belsen and some of the, maybe some of the other ones were any better by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but. And, and certainly, like, Germany had these policies against people with disabilities and, and, um, mental, physical, uh, as well as, um, for homosexuals, for gypsies. So it may be it's something around then, but it would be interesting then why he would necessarily have moved yeah. from Germany to America. I, I agree. I think this still has the most or a lot of legs to go to really understand how he inserts into this. Cause I think from a personal point of view, yeah, he's hook, line and sinkered here. Like he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. She could tell Linda, Linda's kind of warned Magda, you know, it's, it, and it's difficult how this 
German American bunt fits in as well. You know, we've only fleetingly seen them and to what extent they fit in. But, um, yeah, yeah it's like I, I it's presume that's, that's where the connection is going to come to Sister Molly is between the bunt trying to get access to the radio stations and Sister Molly being so big on the radio stations. That's where they're going to get in. And maybe that's mm. Elsa needs to have a voice there. Remember, Peter's the voice of this group as well. So he's most likely going to be the person that would be speaking on those radio broadcast yeah. so potentially being the person the word in his ear for what he's to say to the nation once it's open on the airwaves uh, when those two stories connect because again um, molly's the same molly doesn't have any direct connection to to the magdas uh over uh, here and she doesn't really have that connection to the supernatural i suppose in some senses there's other stuff that we will talk yeah, about as we get into her story from the episode but uh but no no specific version of magda is side by side with molly or her family at the moment so yeah um, so potentially that's the connection between them as far as peter goes i always i always just assumed over the course of the series so far that he's been in the u.s for over 10 years because his young his eldest son is 10 so i just assumed he's been in america for those 10 years so that's, that's a long time back leaving uh leaving essen 1928 1929 kind yeah. of thing it, it could so be something I, yeah. around the first world war possibly yeah. um rather so than I, anything to do with the lead up to the second world war yeah so i'm not even sure from linda's warning to elsa i'm not even sure whether it's that uh scary a reason that he's done something really bad in Essen or whether it's just trying to warn off a woman that's trying to steal your husband because she already stole them from his yeah. ex-family. It could, I mean? it could be simply it's that. It's just trying to warn off the other woman that I was the other woman once and he let, he's leaving me for you kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? It could be that. Um, yeah. I suppose time will tell. That's exactly. the thing. We're halfway through the season and time yeah. will tell in yeah. the coming episodes. But speaking of Germans, we also have Townsend's um, German taking mm-hmm. um, uh, with a Chinese takeout. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's date night for um, Councilman Townsend mm-hmm. with, with Kurt. Um, this, again, I think was kind of interesting. It, it just put a different light on Councilman Townsend. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's any less abhorrent or whatever, but it, it's in a sense that you see a little bit of a um bounce more bounce in his step um he he's thinking about his appearance because obviously Kurt has injected a, a fair amount of um sort of self-confidence fire. into him and fire exactly I, I love the fact that you see him dancing to the tune it kind of reminded me in front of the mirror as a kid mm-hmm. kind of bopping away or singing to a, a pop song um yeah. I, I like that kind of that that he was doing that and then but you know he's, he's surprised to see kurt there with the the takeout in his yeah. hand and we we have date night uh at, at townsend's uh gaff mm-hmm. and the dancing is beautifully styled as yeah, well it's, it's, really good. it's like he's trying to emulate like a frank sinatra type uh style yeah. when he's dancing along to the song it's it's not just dancing in your bedroom it's being happily dancing your best possible dance you know that that's what i kind of got from it and um, anybody else getting some kind of vibes about him that he's so in love with this idea that he's able to be with curse that he kind of seem seems like he may push those boundaries a bit he may come out if this wasn't 1938 he seems like he may want to admit this to the world until Alex gives him a little snap back. Yes, exactly. Um, it feels like he's almost kind of going, oh, who cares? I, I found the person I love. Does it matter? It seems like he's just at that point where he's about to push over the edge until Alex goes, hang on a second. <laughs> you know what's going to be said about this? 
your fa- what your father is going to say, what Councilwoman Beck is going to say, and how she's going to use this against you. You know, it, it just felt like he was genuinely going to be possibly a first step in a path to freedom for homosexuality in a way because he yeah. he seems like he's going to go and this is amazing. I can tell the world, and she's like, nope, don't want to do that. Yeah, no, I, I think it. I just think it's a really kind of nice way of approaching Townsend's character mm. from a different point of view. And in a sense, it's his own self-esteem. Um, and, I, you know, after that knockdown from uh, Alex uh, at his office, you know, he's surprised and pleasantly, you can see the little kind of smile, the unexpected uh, arrival of Kurt with the Chinese takeout. It, to me, felt like it was um, out of the blue for oh, okay. him because... He wasn't expecting, you know. Seth that he was waiting in for, that's um, why he put the tie on. You know? may, maybe, but I know even with Kurt saying, not, you know, he makes that point of nice tie. And like, has he been mm-hmm. prepped by Alex? You know, these kind of um, sort of things. So, you know, you see that Townsend is being used. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of the great things about Penny Dreadful in the past is that, you know, they can throw light and shade onto characters um, it may not be that you like them anymore, but they always kind of give their perspective. You always are told the reasons or the justification as to why someone is doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I think with Townsend's case, it's, you know, the, the, there is discrimination. There is uh, bias and, and inherent prejudice there. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe no more than most Americans at that time but he's also power hungry. He's doing this to further his, his position. And I think just to come back from that and see him in his own bubble of his own home, mm-hmm. dancing, enjoying himself, being taken aback and surprised by Kurt arriving. I just thought it was kind of, it's a nice little change in tack for, for this character. Yeah. The home was amazing as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was really I nice. was just like, that was the, biggest takeaway for me it was like oh my god i really wish i could live in 1930s la just <laughs> with the, the architecture in the house by itself yeah absolutely so I, i'll put my hand on my heart after complaining about the extended dance scenes previously in this mm-hmm. season um this was perfect for me this just gave a nice spring in the step to the character and john as you said it's not about trying to make you like a, a villain like he is a yeah villain. exactly mm. But at the same time, they humanize him by going, no, this man has found a forbidden love that is in that word, a love Mm. in his mind. We know that potentially Alex is steering this with the Germans, the Nazis in order so that his German take in with the Chinese takeout is manufactured and to keep him indoors, to keep him going to his midnight rendezvous in um the the park i yeah, think potentially the plan as you said like like he could have been based on this one of the first characters back in potentially in the days to like be out and proud obviously that is probably too far for alex that's not what they wanted with this plan this was to st- put him in control yeah absolutely. And she yeah. has to remind him and that yeah. even that reminder does little to quench that flame. So yeah. it will be interesting to see how this may blow back in her face. I think one of the themes they may explore is that even though Elsa um, and Magda, I should say, whispers in the ears 
of the characters and prods them in the direction. Mm -hmm. She can't control them. And that's something we've seen. She gets angry when human will exerts itself. Yes. And she, they don't do what she has whispered for them to do. We saw this before where she literally as Alex and then Magda blew out all the windows. Because she's getting angry. And I think that's a theme where we'll see towards the end, which is no matter how much evil prods us and whispers us, like human will will win out sometimes. Human will, etc. I think just quickly as well, for for me, I think from a writer's perspective, giving this idea that, you know, like you're talking about free will, but also seeing Townsend possibly in a way that he may almost... Giving him this other dimension means it always kind of leaves the possibility open that Townsend could change his mind, that he's not this straight-jacketed villain, um, that there is always the potential from his own experience by being homosexual that he may actually begin to be able to empathise. He may also not, of course, but I think that's a really good writing device because it does always allow you and leave you options of which direction this character can go exactly. uh, within within the show. Um, and, and that is why I always think it's great when they show these different sides uh, in Penny Dreadful. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Like they're, they're just so good at doing that. You know, it's one of the things that John Logan really is great at doing is just creating these kind of multi-layered characters, you know, um, just really interestingly, Michael Gladys was doing the live tweet for, uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels the other night, the actor who plays Councilman Townsend. Uh, this whole scene was also choreographed by Tommy Tong, the Irish uh, choreographer who did the big dance sequence from episode three, Chris. Um, but I think one of the things that he was talking about was what he loves about Penny Dreadful. What, what Michael Gladys was saying, what he loves about Penny Dreadful is they're also using dance as, a, as one of the languages of the show, much like all of the other languages of all the uh, main characters in the show. They're using dance itself as a language within the show. So uh, I just thought that was a really interesting note. This this dance itself um, is called the broken hearted soft shoe is the dance that was created okay, for the show. So, uh, so you may be right. The idea that he was at home alone and then decided to put on the record and dance because he's alone. And then that's when Kurt arrives. Potentially that's, that's exactly the thing. He's feeling alone, feeling like he's able to do a little, uh, have a little moment with himself effectively. Yeah. And Kurt turns up and makes him even happier. So yeah, but learned to dance in three weeks after only doing uh, one class of tap uh, when he was younger. So, uh, so I did I think he did a great job. Yeah, really good, good stuff. Good stuff. I think the other lo- big love element, uh, probably less love, certainly, uh, one side of it, more sexy, raunchy, sensual, hot, passionate, is we've got the Pachuco threesome, um, you know, all initiated by uh, a desire to wash the blood of Officer Riley off uh, Mateo's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on undressing, Rio gets other ideas. Uh, and we, we have uh, Fly Rico come in uh, and join them, which I know we had discussed about, you know, because maybe he'd been... Um, you know, been on the streets, he had been a survivor, he had done his, you know, you got the sense that he had been a gigolo on the streets and, and that effectively he would earn his money wherever, but also maybe that he had that taste, um, you know, or, or yeah. is gay. But certainly here we see he's bisexual uh, and is enjoying a, 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 
well, is being the other slice of bread to um, Rio uh, and uh, Mateo's uh, ham sandwich, it's, I suppose. It's by Rico, not fly. Rico. It is by Rico, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the really interesting thing here, um, I think two points for me is one, just how at the same time it's contrasted. So, you know, you have these oranges, these yellows, um, the, the fieriness of this Pachuco threesome, and you contrast it with the fairly cool tones of Tiago and Molly. Mm. Just pure visual, you know, it's suggestive. You know, you get the sense of um, the Holy Spirit with, with Molly and Tiago, both of them in some ways potentially touched by spirits, uh, the hand of God, Santa Muerta, whatever. And with Pachuco, it's, it's this visceral, sensual, uh, side of things, you know, and in, in both cases, potentially it, 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 it's certainly in one of them, it's lovemaking for, for power. Mm-hmm. You know, Rio is reinforcing her message. She, she talks about of the children of the sun that he shouldn't hold on to killing and have no regret for killing, uh, officer Riley, you know, effectively by making him feel great immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, if if he kills another four or five people and she does that with, with Fly Rico, it's like, well, I'll go off and kill four or five more people. But, you know, her whole sort of speech about him being my warrior, my avenging angel, you know, that it's it's goodbye to that former self of yours, you know, welcome in the new powerful, confident Mateo. Don't feel weak anymore. And this is reinforcing that through through the sex, the sensuality of mm-hmm. it. It's it's literally massaging not only his ego, but uh, a few other things. You know, this is the the power play. This is to make him her warrior. Uh, it, it's the reward in a sense. Uh, and with Tiago and Molly, you get the sense that it is equally consensual, but it's you're you're just wondering. Is there something else around Tiago and Molly? Because it seems very different to the threesome. You know, it it, it oh, yeah. feels much more a, a standard. Uh, husband and wife almost, but I, su- I suppose in, in the, the conversation that Molly has with Tiago, is she trying to reinforce her own position here, uh, to Tiago? So I, you know, I think Penny Dreadful has used sex, she's love really interestingly and, and as a, a real, um, force of nature for not just the act itself, but in, in showing these other power plays and, uh, feelings and positions that people can have in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and this I thought was just very much along those lines. And I thought it was really nicely done with the, the contrast between the threesome and the twosome effectively. Yeah. 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 Like the, the, the real pillars of Penny Dreadful have always been love, sex, death and, and horror basically. So, um, getting most of them in this one episode. Yeah. Uh, good one, John. Good point. Um, Chris, do you want to take us on to your big moment for the episode? Yep. Uh, very much mine is about Tiago and how he slips. Um, he's slipping further and further from being this honorable officer, this, uh, this pillar of justice that yeah. Mitchner describes him as being to Mama Vega. Like mm-hmm. Mitchner describes why he was happy to work with Tiago. And we see 
the it's just the fall of Tiago. It's starting to he is crumbling that the honourable officer. So first of all, yeah, as John just described, the soapy dishes did lead to a slip in the bedroom of the holiday home. Mm-hmm. With, and it's not just it's Molly, it's the fact that it's a suspect. It's a it's a, yeah. it's it like in theory you're breaking one of the core tenets of being yeah. a police officer. You are exactly. getting romantically involved with a suspect and unbeknownst to him, the, the suspect is lying. Yeah. He's caught yeah, her in lies multiple times now. Yeah. yeah. And And this episode particularly they, they call out one big one, yeah. Yeah. Do you wanna you just quickly jump in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like the um the scene when they're lying in bed after they've had sex and they're having the conversation um where Molly learns of uh, Santa Muerta's touch uh, on Tiago and then tells him the story of uh, of her mother saving her when she was younger by finding some men who were able to help them out and shelter them for the night. Um turns out to be a lie because the story story is retold to uh, Josefina uh, when they meet before um, Molly learns that Josefina is um, is Tiago's sister. Uh, she tells her the story of exactly the same night, and it ends in a very different way. It ends with her being left alone with some of the older men who abuse her, and her mother either cares nothing for it or is giving payment in the front of the van herself um, yeah. in some way. But it sounds like she's laughing in the front of the van, drinking with somebody else and leaving her daughter, her 10-year-old daughter, alone with two men in the back of the van. So um, so she tells Tiago this story so that he will go easy on her dragon mother, as she says. Um, he, he She's specifically covering up the truth to try and sell her mother as a nicer person than she is and someone that may not be capable of the murders that she's... Uh, at this uh, at this stage, probably committed yes. uh, on the Hazlitt family. So. so my my part is you're led to believe based on the way that is portrayed that one of these stories is true. Mm-hmm. Most likely yeah. the 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 one where uh, Molly says this to uh, the sister. Yeah, I, I'm starting to believe that neither are okay. true. That like yeah. Molly, she spins this web. She is a showwoman. Um, so that we're, we're kind of, that she is to all intents and purposes, an actress. Mm-hmm. And as part yeah. of that, she is able to weave seamlessly like lines of dialogue. And, uh, I do believe that both of these are lies. And she, when she knows and finds out that Tiago is, the brother, she mm-hmm. gets, oh God, I may be caught in a lie. Both yeah. of these, if they ever discuss. And I think that's kind of one of these parts where we do learn as part of, I talk about the slip. It's not just Tiago's slip, but it's the slip of an actress. Yeah. I, I think with Molly, I think it's that it feels like that classic 1930s, you know, when you, you, See the, 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 some of the quotes from the, uh, Hollywood stars of, of the past. And it's like, give the public what they want so that they themselves were always having to put on this facade. And I think that this is kind of that feeling with Molly. And so I think with Josephina, um, you know, she didn't know that Tiago was her, uh, brother at when she told the story. So she's, 
is it just this facade? It's that I'm here to make people feel better about themselves. Mm. I, I do this on, on a Sunday service and that's, that's the power of it. It's a spectacle. Everyone is uplifted. It hammers home the message. And that, that's what she does here. This is still her public face, even though she's been brought into her private and um, sort of rooms. And um, this is still her public face to Josephina. Um, and so, and it's different to what Tiago, that this is what he wants to hear, that she, is it that she's not brutally battered or, or, or bullied by her mother? So he's trying, she's trying to almost console him. And at the moment, there's still elements of that, that I keep thinking about it. But the danger is, is that she is actually doing this purposefully and that she is a, almost like a spin doctor as well. Yeah. You know, which side does it lie on? Yeah. Is it, does it have the innocence behind it or is it spin doctors? Yeah. And, and that's the really, um, interesting thing, I think, with Molly. But to your point as well, Chris, this is one of Tiago's slips here in, in this episode. You know, Lewis is always saying, uh, throughout this, uh, you know, you're not telling me something because yeah. he knows he can't tell him or he, sh- he shouldn't be doing it. And um, I think Nathan Lane, again, is just like absolutely no. awesome in, in this. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that suspicion that he has all the way through this, um, uh, as they do their investigation is just really, really, uh, is so well done. And, and I he, love how he plays it because it's not just a suspicion. It doesn't sound like he's suspicious that Tiago might have been involved in the death of Riley. He's almost speaking for everybody else. He's kind of saying to him, look, you're in the department. Yeah. You got here on your own merit. But if you don't stand up and give them nothing to question, then everybody will question you. Everybody will blame you if you don't come here beyond reproach. You know, it's, he's saying, you know, there was definitely a declaration from war from the Mexican community in this city. And lo and behold, nobody could find you for 24 hours. You can't let that kind of stuff happen. Yeah. You know, I don't care where you were. I don't care if you were with a new girlfriend or anything like that. You need to be beyond reproach or people will start to point the finger at you. Um, so yeah, really like that kind of interplay between the two of them as the, as the yeah. two of them meet up. And, and um, the tee up as well for this, Chris, I think is that, that opener. When Tiago's just gotten off the, the bus and they have that conversation and, mm. uh, Tiago just goes, I hope it's not Mexicans. And Michner goes, and if it is, and, um, and you have Tiago saying, we do our job. And of course, over the course of this episode, as you say, we see this, these slips from Tiago yeah. where he doesn't do his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the second part of the slip and sorry. Before I even get to that, the one thing I will say, and I, I assume you guys will agree with me, we've just spoke about Mitchner. Mm-hmm. I, I've known Nathan Lane for years. For me, he's always been a very much a character actor. You've uh, never introduced him to sorry, us. Sorry, I've never introduced him. <laughs> yes, I, I believe you, know, you haven't We somewhere in the Hamptons. Um, <laughs> but he's always been a very, uh, he, he's been a, to a degree, a typecast actor. Um, mm. he, he's known for very theatrical Broadway style. Or potentially, and uh, I'm not being derogatory here, a very camp, uh, over the top characters. So bird, birdcage, etc., or the, his modern family character, etc. This for me is like just really, it's just this, oh my god, breakout kind of character kind of acting for me that I, I did not know. He was capable of, and mm-hmm. I, this is not meant as a slight. This is just 
this is just showing the range that oh my god this actor is fantastic just really good just that's all that's i had to get that out because i was just like every episode i'm like oh my god this is even better he's just Mm -hmm. no really good really yeah so the second uh slip up that we discuss and we'll we'll kind of we'll scoot along quite quickly on this Mm -hmm. which is where we meet fly rico squeeze um, his ba- we're mm. not sure if it's baby mama, but definitely um, a female friend, potentially girlfriend, um, for Fly Rico. Yeah, I think they just say that she's very close. And yeah, that's it. And then she goes, "Well, his mom's close. She's just down the road," yeah. <laughs> which is a but great. She's blind. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is where he starts to overstep his line a bit as a police officer. He, he's mm-hmm. he's verging towards. Um, Riley territory. He basically threatens deportation. Yeah. Uh, with the child really. there. No, but it's starting to kind of go towards that because he's become yeah. derogatory. He's going to separate the child and the mother yep. and kind of throw her back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it's very much to the target of Mitchner because it's like, no, no, you're an honorable officer. You believe in justice. We don't, we don't step over that line. We mm-hmm. are police officers. And this is where you start to see, as I said, the slip with the breaking of Tiago. It's the fall because yeah. he's, with the additional mounting pressures, his beliefs start to crack. He's not shattered, but he's cracking. Yeah. And I, I think just having come from Sophia's where, he, you know, they get Fly Rico's name and, and there's the suggestion that it could be Mateo, uh, with, with the, the, the plaster, the bandage uh, yeah. around his thumb. He's gone to Raoul, presumably with that suggestion. And you, you, you know that Michener was asked effectively to leave that, that room whilst they discuss it further. Yeah. Um, all on the pretense that it was actually, well, where does Fly Rico live? Raoul could have answered that in, in seconds, probably. Uh, but also they needed to discuss what, how they manage the family issue that's happened now that there's this suspicion. I feel like um, Raul may not have given up Fly Rico, though. No. Even though his brother's a police officer, I think he wouldn't have given up unless convinced with the fact that Matteo may have joined them and may now be in yeah, trouble. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And and then with um, a, approaching Bernadette Romero well, like this, um, I thought it was really interesting because, yeah, as you say, you know, Lewis does kind of go, hang on a second, Tiago. Mm-hmm. You know, he is that shocked and then gives his little story about Frederick March, the actor, um, who won the Academy Award for Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, yeah. Lewis is absolutely not sure, hence that wonderful speech that we've opened the podcast with mm-hmm. about Tiago's frame of mind here at all. He knows there's something at him or he's... It's something for as as probably as far as Lewis can determine to do with the fact that he wasn't able to contact him for twenty four hours. He feels it's connected to the Riley case potentially. Little does he know probably that it, it's it's connected through yeah. his family He's through Matteo. Um, so I, I thought that was a nice little nod, and I think just as well, just that nice little reference back to the fact that you have Doctor Jekyll in the original Penny Dreadful. There's no connection here whatsoever, but it is just simply. That um, just that nice little literature reference, yeah. I suppose. From well, my hang side. on, hang on, because you're stealing my notes here, John, by a, a wide margin. Because uh, this is massive for Penny Dreadful fans. The fact that they've mentioned a movie version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, because Doctor Henry Jekyll was in season three of Penny Dreadful. So this completely separates 
Penny Dreadful City of Angels from the original Penny Dreadful, right? Because yeah, absolutely. There's now a fictional character called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that was made into a movie in the real world, which is where this Penny Dreadful City of Angels was based. So unless it had a tag on that movie saying based on a true story from the 1800s, um, then it's a completely different universe. We will definitely, this is first confirmation, we will definitely not see Dorian Gray walk past in the background uh, of this show. So I don't know if that's, no. I, I want to say yes, but what I very much as part of me is what I can see uh, John Logan saying and turning around and going, well, there are plenty of cases in history where a real life person uh, lived and had actions and these very fanciful novelizations of their actions mm-hmm. and their speeches and stuff became a book and was translated into popular fiction later on. So I can see him saying something along those lines. I'm mm-hmm. going, no, this is still in the same world. Look at this big book that other people discuss. Yeah. And I think it's interesting with a different writer on the show, not John Logan, uh, that that's the line that made it through uh, for this cut of the episode. So I wonder if John Logan was sitting there going, uh-oh, hang on a second, <laughs> after he read the script. Maybe. Um, I mean, for me, it's a nice touchback reference to the original, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Since this is Chris's point, let's get back to Chris yes, on his third the final, the final bit, which is, this has annoyed me, and it's the final what I think is, I would say, I don't want to say nail in the coffin or a straw to break the camel back or any mm-hmm. other terrible euphemism. Um, it's the, that he lets Mateo escape. Mm-hmm. So he chooses. So, so we have this beautiful scene where they run up the stairs, they catch the kid. And then I was like, well, okay, like put him in cuffs or something. No, they <laughs> still go upstairs. Yeah. Um, he was just a lookout. There's yeah, no use to them, and they stopped him running up the stairs so, to warn them. So that they was got it. there, <laughs> they break down the door. Even mm-hmm. though he was pretty sure that Matteo was going to be there, like because he knew he was still had that terrible look of shock on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, well, you knew, but good acting. And then we get this great chase scene, mm-hmm. but he chooses to chase Matteo. Yeah. Versus the other, uh, the other character. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. it was, sorry, versus Fly Rico. It was um, Fly Rico. He was chasing Fly and Mateo. Yeah. Uh, and then as the two of them separated, he chose yeah. to go after Mateo. That's so right. Yeah. He should, in tech, well, I don't know if he should have, but in my head, you go for the bigger, the bigger fish. He should mm-hmm. have gone for Fly Rico. Um, but he doesn't. And then he lets Mateo go. With sirens blaring in the background. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Run. this very much is the, as a, yeah, it's like 101 cop. You do not let the suspect go. Like he shot his brother to stop, to keep the law, to, mm. to in, enact ju- not justice. And yet he breaks the law for family. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I'm this. It seems like the characters, the foundations of the character are kind of shaking to a degree. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, he, he shot Raul to protect his partner, to protect everything kicking off like it was. Remember, Raul did kill three or four other officers before shooting, or did shoot at least uh, a bunch of officers before shooting at uh, his new partner. And that's why he shot him, basically. Um, 
but he's freeing Matteo in a different way. Nobody's around him. Nobody will find out that he specifically said go to Matteo. Nobody will find out that he said run to Matteo. Um, it's not like he's pushing him out the doors of the police uh, department in LA in front of everybody else going, you're free. He can just say Matteo got away from him uh, or this unknown suspect got away from him. Lewis was behind him at the time. Uh, the shot was slowed down. So Lewis didn't actually see him for as long as you think he did. It's only about a millisecond that he saw this other kid uh, in the background. Um, and this was the only way he could be saved, really, is, is the reason why I think Tiago had to be the one to catch Mateo. He couldn't let Lewis go after him. Uh, if Lewis did actually catch him and he got arrested, bad things were going to happen. So, um, so yeah, I think he ch- chased him down to let him go, effectively. But uh, he wanted to know the answer. He wanted to know, yeah. did he commit the murder? Yeah. I do I do think that this will lead to Rio. I had it wrong where I thought it was Raul versus Tiago in mm. the brother versus brother um prophecy. I think we all thought that. We, exactly. Yeah. I think we actually we were led to believe that. Mm-hmm. But actually it's going to be Mateo versus Tiago. Brother well, versus brother. Well, next week's episode is called How It Is With Brothers. So uh, definitely going to be learning more about the family Vega in that episode as well and, and finding out, you know, what is the tension between all three of them, really. Um, yeah, I mean, the main thing from for this, uh, for me, was I, I just thought uh, Daniel Zavato was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a really powerful performance. You, you can see him battling between... Him as a detective and also then as the older brother of, of Matteo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's it. He lets him run, um, but he learns the truth. Uh, and I, I suspect that, you know, that word with Raul as well, given the suspicion, um, could have been you, you can't arrest him. You know, it would destroy Maria, whatever it may be. And I think, yeah, he, he made the right choice to run after um, Fly Rico and Matteo uh, in that moment because he's in the same room. Whilst there's no necessarily direct evidence then that he did the killing, he's obviously a huge uh, person of interest, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and the suspicion is falling on him, you know, heavily, and he's one in four option for any prosecutor so but I, I i yeah i thought tiago was excellent here and i just think it's a great uh for implications moving forward mm-hmm. with his family but in his job as a detective you know he himself has put himself in a really uh difficult situation here which uh i'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out and interestingly i suppose that's kind of how we close out this point i suppose really is that they do have a member of uh, Fly Rico's gang in custody now, and it's yeah. Diego, uh, yeah. the fourth member of the group. Yeah, his um, face as Rio cl- closes the door oh, is really priceless. Yeah, she leaves him behind, uh, screaming after Rio to let him to let him out. But I suppose you know we as the audience know it's uh, know that it's Matteo, and, and we know that he's had this conversation with his brother, and we know that he's taken credit for it, but. Right now, Diego is a very likely suspect. The chief of police seems to be reasonably happy with these types of cases being fulfilled with, you know, a good enough suspect yeah. in here. And Diego was the kid that was being beaten up by Riley in the uh, in the chair in the previous episode, you know, as as uh, Diego walked into the department and threatened to kill Riley, uh, basically. So um, this is someone that they could pin the murder of Riley on and just walk away. 
and all of this stuff goes away. You know, Matteo gets away, Flyrico gets away. Yeah. You know, he can easily just say he's the one that did the killing blow, and Diego's the one that has to take the pain because he did. He was involved as well. He was there, and he did hit Riley with a uh, with some quite considerable blows as well. So that's true. Um, so yeah, so we this is how we basically end off the episode is that while Matteo is free and while Tiago is telling him to run, they do have somebody in custody. So yeah, yep. We have talked about almost everything in the episode, but I wanted to just highlight one little element that we didn't specifically highlight because it's really um, interesting to me. Specific. <laughs> It's quite specific, yeah, definitely. But I think in this show where the supernatural seems to be hidden in the background a little bit uh, more than it would have been when you're talking about uh, the universal monsters, as a lot of the original Penny Dreadful was, you know, very well-known monsters and very well-known creatures from the past and history and that kind of stuff. Um, I think Rio talking to Matteo uh, when she's undressing him and getting him ready for his zoot suit, effectively, I think her actual speech to him giving the fictional supernatural evolution of the Pachucos is just fascinating because she's effectively bringing the Pachucos back like as if they are the warriors of an ancient god. Um, She's saying that they are the sons and daughters of the Aztec god that was unconquerable for a thousand years and gave many blood sacrifices to keep in that place of power. His followers would give blood sacrifices. So effectively create kind of equating what Matteo did by killing Riley as a blood sacrifice to keep the Pachucos alive. So I love how she's kind of combining all of this information together and effectively saying that they have they have risen from the ashes of the Aztec past. Combining that with the arrival of the conquistadors from Europe and their own religion, similar, I think, as we talked about in episode one of this show, similar to the American gods idea where multiple gods coming together, forming different and the same versions with just slightly different names, effectively. This is how they merged a lot of religions together when Christianity came across from Europe into uh, various different countries. They would take some of their deities and kind of twist them slightly and rename them as similar to their own deities within the Christian religion. So, uh, So I loved this kind of idea that effectively Rio is, and we know she's a demon, Rio is talking to Matteo almost as Magda, saying... This is how our religion, the Pachuco religion, came to be. And you need to get rid of your Christian ways, this unreal God that you have. She pulls the cross off his, uh, off his chest or the uh, the medal that's on his chest. She pulls that off his chest, uh, telling him to give up on that God and go for her God and their God. So I thought that was a really interesting use of that, of those historical religious practices and the combination of all of them. Because it, I think it's probably the closest we've gotten to Magda having a conversation with a human yeah in the show i i do wonder if magda is that god mm-hmm. yeah that's where and she's basically like getting a disciple she's mm-hmm. like give up worshiping this christ god figure and worship me mm-hmm. pretty much is what she's saying she will get she needs a a priest if you will a, yeah. a, a, like they have given her the blood sacrifice mm-hmm Mateo did give her a blood sacrifice, so now it is now. No, no, you are one. You are one of my priests now. You are with me. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, and that's that's what I. That's just why I thought it was so interesting. Given it's a couple of lines of dialogue, but she's she's very specific about the historical details that she's giving, and it's not just you'll get your zoot suit and we'll go out dancing every Saturday night, and and we'll make sure that nobody takes over the the Mexicans, the um, or anybody in this city. It is this has stemmed back for millennia yeah 
in the history of the Aztecs, the history of the Mexicans, we are now bringing it to America and we are, we are this religion. We're not just a dance group that are Christians dancing every Saturday night uh, up in, uh, up in the, the, uh, Crimson Cat, you know, so I just I thought it was quite interesting. And it's interesting that you've also pointed that out, Chris, because it was something that I was I was saying to John when we watched this episode. There's something odd about Molly as well. Molly hasn't mentioned Christ over the course of these five episodes. She's mentioned God. She's mentioned higher powers. And in this episode, interestingly, just the wording of it, she says her mother introduced her to a powerful God. Mm. And I do wonder if that God will be named as Santa Morsa or a Christian version of Santa Morsa in the future or something like that, or maybe not even a Christian version. She doesn't need to actually be Christian, to be honest. It's one of those ones where she's been choosing the words very carefully that this deity that she worships may not necessarily be the Christian God. So I think it might be Magda. Maybe. Because essentially we know the mother's the mother's bad and potentially Mm. the mother introduced her to Molly to this god of Magda which is and that is the connection that is that point because that's the bit I was trying to figure because I'm like that that whole side of it is yet is godless in the meddling aspect and I was I was going to bring up this I, I was flirting with the idea that potentially the bodyguard was Magda in uh, or another like it was Frank all grown up, if you will. Okay, um, but I don't think that's a hundred percent because that's yeah. not that that the bodyguard isn't whispering. Yeah, it's if anything the mother the mother's whispering to the bodyguard. Right. So I was like, well, potentially when Magda when Molly was in behind the curtain and in her state and stuff, she's just talking to Magda. Magda's right. Magda can be veiled to human senses. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's just there beside her. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's an option. I, and and the reason why I was thinking Santa Muerte was possibly because I think twice now she's talked to um, Tiago once about the actual marks that she sees in his skin in this episode and instantly said that's a protection mm. um, to him. And previously, the first time they met back uh, earlier on this season, she she said to him about Santa Muerte, he said, I, people tell me I saw her when I was a child. And she says, maybe you did. And doesn't seem to have any kind of judgment, doesn't seem to have any kind of, well, no, those deities don't exist. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I believe in these deities. Your deities don't exist. That kind of conversation. It's very um, respectful of the possibility that there are other deities. And that's why I'm wondering whether she does actually worship another deity like Santa Muerte. Uh, and that would also lead to a point where we will have Santa Muerte versus Magda through the humans that they're speaking through or talking with uh, towards the end of the season. Um, there you go. That's that's another theory. It's a good theory, and you know me, I like my theories. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. That's it for my big moment from the episode, because uh, I think we've covered almost everything else. The only, uh, only other couple of little bits that we haven't talked about um, are Dottie meeting up with uh, Brian Koenig uh, in the episode. And perhaps the end of Dottie, because we do see um, she is now being followed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the one big gem uh, from this episode um, that we have to make reference to is, for me, is Lewis and uh, meeting Maria Vega. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really priceless scene between, I think, two real big heavyweights here. Um, I love the fact he goes in and says, you're not actually Jewish, are you? You know, there's mm-hmm. some really good fun here. 
uh, between the two and, and almost him. You know, it was interesting when she says, you know, you, you're the one I should be thanking. You had the guts to pick a, a Chicano uh, to be your partner. And we know from the, what, the first or second episode where he said, I just didn't have a choice. Although he, you know, where does the truth lie? And it may be that Maria has some insight through her, um, through praying to, to Santa Muerta. But that was just a fabulous moment between the two where she goes through all the different um, colors, uh, different Santa Murtas for the different reasons why you pray to that particular one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact you've got that scary ass central <laughs> Santa Murta. And Lewis is like, look at her teeth. Oh. And she goes, yes, yeah, she's beautiful, isn't she? And he's like, well, that's one way of saying it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't call like the skull, um, beautiful in that sense, but it, it was just, um, it was just really nice. Um, I want to see more of Maria, um, for sure. I think, she, you know, to get presumably a bit more Santa Muerta here. Maybe. I was going to say Santa Maria then. Uh, but <laughs> this is, uh, uh, this, this was a great little scene yeah. uh, between these two actors here. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a really nice moment um, between the two. Definitely. I definitely want to see more of Maria Vega. She's such an interesting character. And as I mentioned earlier on in the season, seems massively powerful. Like she describes her prayer to Santa Muerta as Santa Muerta is really powerful. Ask what you want and you get it. Well, there's not very many deities that anybody worships that can get you exactly what you want if you just pray for it. But it's happened twice now for Maria. Yeah. <laughs> She's just asked Santa Maria for whatever it is, and in she arrives. Is Maria Vega the actual embodiment of Santa Muerta? Another one. Is she another embodiment of her? Is she helping out Maria Vega specifically because she's a really powerful uh, bruja, bruja uh, witch? Um, or is she... Is there some other connection there? Yeah, I don't maybe. know, but I, I want to see more Maria. She's um, a great actress, too. And also just that she does give... Uh, Lewis there, a black sentimenter for protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what can it hurt, right? Um, but I, I suspect Lewis may need to call on Santa Muerta's protection, uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. That little black idol will yeah. 100% come back to play. Definitely. Yeah. Because it's just, it was so prominent in the following scene of being on the hood of the car. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm like, all right, all right. He's going to end up putting it in his pocket and it will deflect a bullet. Obviously, I know that's, that won't happen because that's obviously too on the nose or something mm-hmm. along those lines will. Something that, I think something like that. Yeah. I think you're about right, Chris. Anything else we haven't talked about from the episode? Nothing for me. I think we covered most of it, and like the the other remaining bits, probably I don't want to bring up because, like always, I bring it up, and literally in the next episode, it's completely bashed down. So I'm like, I'm waiting to see if one or two things pay off next episode, like exactly what has happened previously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So don't uh, don't spoil your uh, your projections for what might happen. Yeah. <laughs> Anything from yourself? Uh, interested to see Adelaide and Randolph still following Molly. Um. Their conversation was just so mysterious that I couldn't work out anything of what they were talking about. <laughs> I couldn't work <laughs> out whether um, Adelaide was sending Randolph off to kill Tiago, which is how I expected the conversation to go. You know, is he going to do the same thing that they did with ha- with the Hazlitts? You know, is there something else, something else going on there? But 
just so obscure as a conversation that I had uh, had no idea what exactly was happening between the two of them. We just know she's pretty evil and Randolph constantly follows Molly and they, and they absolutely know about Tego and Molly being together. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, um, as Miss Adelaide said, we know how this is going to end, mm. don't we, Randolph? Now, whether that's because of an act that they do or plan or it's something to do with Molly. Yeah. Uh, given that we're a little unsure of whether possibly she's channeling Santa Muerta or Magda, um, that deity, we just don't know. Uh, so I think that's still kind of really intriguing. You know, what is Molly's shtick here? Yeah. Um, the other thing is I did feel that Randolph, um, perfectly played, um, the, just that kind of, you know, great Hulk kind of character that sort of obeys the master it did remind me of the the supermarket attendants from hot fuzz <laughs> um so i was expecting him to kind of say yarp nice um as he goes off to to you know do a, do his master's bidding right. so to speak um or maybe the original frankenstein's monster from uh, from the old movies in the I 40s was, and 50s <laughs> i was gonna go solomon grundy yeah, absolutely. Solomon Grundy is... born on a Monday. Yeah, it's exactly. just that again, fictional, but based on historical or not historical, but narrative yeah. based kind of history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, hot fuzz. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, <laughs> yarp. I I instantly thought of the giant from uh, from Twin Peaks when I saw him. I just think uh, he has that kind of look about him. Mm. So, a couple of the quick notes for the episode before we go on to some feedback. Um, one from a previous episode that I only learnt about this week. Which I thought was fascinating. We just didn't uh, didn't comment on it at all. Um, do you remember when uh, Lewis Michener leaves the bodies of his friends in the morgue uh, and goes up the stairs and rips his lapel off while crying, effectively while mourning the loss of uh, of his friends? Um, that's actually a Hebrew act known as Kriya. Yeah, effectively, it's a striking expression of grief at the loss of a loved one. I just had never heard of it before. So I just didn't realize how, uh, ah, okay. how realistic and accurate, I suppose that moment is. He's specifically uh, showing his grief in the, in this manner. Yeah. Uh, just no, that's really great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely had that connection uh, with that, with the opening scene of this episode as Magda lures uh, her blood bag as you are calling uh, this this man when she walks into the bar uh, lures this guy towards her uh, definitely felt like the character Billy Piper play, played in Penny Dreadful Lily where she went to the bar picked up a guy yes. took him home and killed him uh, felt exactly like a beat uh, directly back from uh, from the original Penny Dreadful there yeah the resemblance of that was striking yeah but uh, for sure um, I think th- otherwise the only notes uh, from myself was just that uh, yeah, on those other colors of Santa Morsa, we had gold for wealth, white for purity of heart, red for love, green for justice, and black for protection against kind of evil spirits or just evil in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I did love the little touch with Maria saying that none of her children believe in Santa Morsa, except for Rao. Of course, Raoul believes in Santa Morta. He is Santa Morta. <laughs> he, he was brought back by her zombie brother. Um, zombie being, bros. You know? <laughs> so uh, I do like that she just calls out that Raoul does believe in Santa Morta. So, yeah. Well, someone's got to. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, I think with that, let's move on to our th- final thoughts for this episode. Derek, what did you think 
of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Episode 5, Children of the Royal Sun. I love when we get to the halfway point of a season and all I can say about an episode is it's even better than last week, which I loved, because that means that the show's doing something right. Every episode has been better and better. Every character has been more and more developed and some fantastic things happened in this episode. I thought this was excellent. Just right up there, exactly where I wanted to be. Uh, lots of interesting, intriguing uh, things going on with all of the characters. And yeah, this fall for Tiago or uh, this character of Tiago, you know, you can understand behind all of this, this is someone that's worked every day of his life to get into the position where he is, the first ever Chicano uh, LAPD detective in this position. And now everything's falling apart around him and he's struggling to hold on, struggling to hold on to his integrity and his honesty because of everything that's going on uh, in the city. And I think it's a, a really interesting story uh, for this season. So uh, brilliant performances, really interesting stuff going on. Um, yeah, loving this episode. Looking forward to the rest of the season. Excellent. Uh, Johnners, what did you think of episode five? I absolutely, um, I love this. Um, for me, it's four and a half Haymarket anarchists out of five. <laughs> um, little one for Dottie there. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, for me, I, uh, when I first watched it, I, I came at it purely from that, that gem of a scene between Lewis and, um, and Maria, to be honest. Uh, and I really liked these two wise, uh, beings sort of just sharing their, their wisdom, their, their thoughts and so on around Tiago. But I think Tiago, it was great having him much more central in, in this episode, really getting our teeth into Tiago and what he was doing and just how he is, is proving himself to be human, uh, as, and, and slipping, as you said, Chris. Um, I, I loved again that Penny Dreadful provides, you know, uh, a, a look into how people are behaving and that through the eyes of love or, or, or sex. Um, and I, I think this was really, really good to see. Um, I, I think the, the speech by Rio to Mateo is massively powerful, uh, to him. Uh, you know, he is no regrets Mateo after she has that speech. Uh, delivers it to him for him and then beds him uh, mm -hmm. effectively um to to really hammer it home but again tiago learning the truth about his younger brother and making the decision to let him run you know really great stuff um all around here so looking forward to see how the the capture of diego pans out uh for uh next week's episode mm-hmm Absolutely, a really good episode. Uh, Chris, what do you think, Avril? I, I can't say much more of outside of what you gents have already said. Um, I'm starting to eat the crow uh, in that I, I have said over time that like I was like, yeah, this, this, parts of this is dragging for me. Um, I made a joke before we started recording. I was like, yeah, this episode had nothing. It's going to be an easy one. We'll knock <laughs> it out in like 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> I, although nothing significant, if like it... I'll give you the perfect example. Last night, I watched a Netflix uh, film called Extraction, which is mm. about two hours of nonstop abs, action, fight, car scenes. Just go, go, go. It's just assaulting the senses. Mm. The story is there, but it, it's not really what you're going to that, that yeah. film for. Um we're going to Penny Dreadful for the story. And I feel exactly. that 
I part of me was like, okay, I need a bit more not wham bam kind of action, but I felt it just needed a bit more. What I'm finding is the actual slow burns are paying off uh, as the deeper you get into the season. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, my um, millennial instant gratification sometimes just <laughs> needs to take a back seat and just understand that a good writer like John Logan and, and in this case, Jose Riviera, uh, it just, they know what they're doing. They're taking me on a journey and I need to respect that. Um, so yeah, I can't say much more. I'm, I'm, I just want, I want to see where it goes then. And I think that's the kind of the core. Um, but I, I, I've had enough, um, discussion of rape. If that's okay with everyone. Just that we'll, we'll, we'll top that. That's, we're good for now. <laughs> it's just hard to watch and listen to. So mm-hmm. there we are. Those are our thoughts on episode five, Children of the Royal Sun. But gentlemen, I think it's the time we move on to some feedback. Mm-hmm. I don't know why yes. I sound like a radio jockey. Not even a good <laughs> jockey, a shock jock. It's the intention always when you're sitting in front of a microphone, yes. Chris. That's all. Uh, yes, over to Penny for your thoughts. Feedback section for our Penny Dreadful podcast. A quick apology uh, to begin with for Jared Wilkins, uh, who did send in this feedback last Monday. Uh, we had recorded our podcast, but I normally am able to throw in uh, our feedback. If we get it in a little bit late, I'm normally able to throw it in um, after we've recorded the episode. But I had a few technical issues last week, which meant I couldn't record. I could only edit the podcast. So... What Jared said was on episode four last week. He says, concerning where we stand at the end of this episode, I think that Tiago has to decide whether or not he wants to arrest Molly for the Hazlitt murders and his own brother Matteo for Raleigh's murder. It seems that what will likely happen and what suits his best interest is that he will find a way to pin all of these murders on Fly Rico as he's the leader of the Pachucos. So he looks good for all of these murders. And it might help him to better pull his baby brother Matteo out of the Pachuco gang if they're leaderless. It's not what I want to happen, but I'm also trying to fill in the holes. Nathan Lane, in an interview with Gold Derby, let slip that in episode six, Detective Michener and Tiago have done something regrettable. And he tells Tiago that in these times, there are no clean deeds. There's only dirty deeds and less dirty deeds. That could easily mean pinning the Hazlitt murders on someone less deserving. So... Interestingly, he mentions this interview with Nathan Lane saying that they've done something despicable in episode six. I think they've done this is the despicable thing, right? This is freeing of Matteo uh, as kind of against the rules of police officers. So I uh, don't think it's any spoiler there. No, but wait and see. About. Yeah, thanks, Jarrett, for, for that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's all going to get really, really muddy for Nathan Lane and for Tiago. Um, even Nathan Lane it has... His little side project uh, with the Nazis and with, obviously, uh, Brian Koenig, as we saw in episode five, where he, he's asked Dossie to keep up the the um, the, the observation of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tiago, yeah, I think what with his the the, the powerful presence of his mom of of Raoul um, and, and possibly his own feelings, then yeah. It sounds like it, it's gonna get messy for him in particular. Uh, I like that you, the suggestion as well that you know what he wants to do, um, whether he wants to arrest Molly for the Hazlitt murders or not, um, or whether he's going to pin it on Flyrico. And you know, it, it comes back to Chris's point about Tiago's fall in a sense uh, that he is. 
he had such pure aspirations, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when, when being pushed by Vanderhoff about concluding it, he goes, well, you want us to solve, you know, want us to solve it. Him and Lewis both saying, well, we're going to investigate it and solve it, not just pluck a Mexican name out of the air and pin it on them. Yeah. And yeah, if that's what they do, uh, in, in episode six, potentially with Diego, um, for both, um, the the murder of Officer Riley, but potentially then for the Hazlitts, um, you know, two birds with one stone, easy win. It's concluded on all fronts. Then it, it's it's going to be um, something tragic for sure. Okay. Okay. Exactly. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say. Mm. Dirty deeds. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do thanks, think that's Jarrison. where they're going. I think there's dirty deeds okay. and less dirty deeds, and in this case, it's they need to. They need to shut it down as the captain mm-hmm. wants and requests. Absolutely. Thanks so much again, Jared, for that. I'm sorry that we didn't get it in uh, the last episode. Yes, thank you so much. Um, we also received an email from our roving reporter in the field in LA, good old Jim Picanisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had this to say, gentlemen, wow, episode four was outstanding and traumatic. I have no specific location info to share this week, other than to say Pasadena is now a scarier place to live. <laughs> well, what? Like, if you're a roving reporter, Jim, come on, you need location. You're roving in, in location. That's why we have you. Anyway, Jim went on to say the Florence Moore appearance was truly frightening, but what happened to Josephina was even more difficult to watch. Credit mm. the great actors. Just so devastating, and the revenge scenes were horrifically brutal. Made me consider how neat and clean so many of these types of scenes are typically shot. Nice, clean, Mm. throat slit. I can recall three or four of them in Game of Thrones. Not on Penny Dreadful, just a realistic mess. Impactful. Theory Mm. on where this is headed. Molly equals Magda, Josephina equals Centre Birthday, or vice versa. You guys are great. Jim, Pasadena, California. Uh, we should start signing that off as Jim, our roving reporter in the field. Pasadena, <laughs> California. Yes, thank you so much. Might have to send him some money if he's going to be employed by TV Podcast Industries. But then again, <laughs> none of us get paid for it. So, uh. <laughs> no, exactly. This is all about the love. Yeah, the love, in this case, of Penny Dreadful. Thanks, Jim, for that. Um, I, I like the idea that Josefina could be Santa Morsa mm-hmm. as well. Um, I know Chris had mentioned about um Molly being Magda um rather than Santa Morsa mm-hmm. um but yeah well, then is it ju- I just kind of thought that Molly was kind of the holy spirit she was right. the you know the the strict christian form of, of I suppose Santa Morsa mm-hmm. or the holy spirit and uh, in in christianity yeah. Um, or holy, me- me- I see. I don't. I don't even know myself. It's been such a long time since I went to Sunday school, but I really like. Um, yeah, I like this idea because um, that that would certainly play nicely with the fact that she's from the Vega family, with the the influence and presence of her of her mom, mm-hmm. um, and certainly Molly is is that yeah darker darker edge then that possibly she she has here and um, so yeah i i like that theory it's a really interesting theory thanks so much again for the feedback jim yes thank you again yeah, jim. thanks jim uh we we're also able to publish your dulcet tones on our podcast and if you want to hear your voice on the podcast you can record a clip of yourself on your phone and email it to us or you can go to our website 
tvpodcastindustry.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about that week's episode. If you want to email it, you can email it to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. But we, of course, have our returning voicemailer, uh, Steve Brown from Panels to Pixels podcast. If you have a chance, check it out. It is a great listen. But... Steve had this to say about Penny Dreadful. Yeah, he liked this one. He sent in two voicemails. I'll play both of them back to back. Good morning, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve. And uh, gosh, this episode was so good. I'm about to watch it again, but I wanted to throw a couple of uh, thoughts in before I do. First, Derek, you finally get to say, not written by John Logan. <laughs> and uh, I loved seeing the, the change from Magda to, uh, to Elsa there in the in the dance club and uh, we don't see what happens with that with that gentleman i don't think i'm about to watch it again so i'll i'll find out but uh, just wanted to send those a couple initial thoughts in before i uh, watch it uh, for a second time okay talk to you in a bit so they're starting to make us question molly's maybe intentions maybe she just manipulative because she tells two different versions of that story one to uh, to Tiago and then to his a different one to his sister and the I, I'm starting to see is Magda supposed to represent like kind of the devil to where she's like she's corrupting individuals as well as these bigger groups and what is the end game with Peter Kraft I'm a uh, uh, interested to see where what connections he has besides the bund that uh, uh we might you might see here so um i'm curious i've got to finish the second watch but i wanted to get all this uh sent in this morning before uh before things got busy okay uh love the podcast thank you so much for the shout out uh to my podcast and uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought of this one talk to you later Thank you so much, Steve. That was not planned. I had not heard your podcast, your voicemail before I uh, gave that uh, shout out mm-hmm. again. So nice. <laughs> You're welcome. Absolutely. Uh, will we give uh, Steve's second uh, voicemail play and then we'll talk about his thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Hey, guys. Sorry to send a second voicemail, but I'm, I'm in the middle of watching the second time. And two things occurred to me that I thought was really, really cool and I wanted to share very quickly. First off, when... Tiago says to Michener that he didn't cause the death of Jimmy Riley. That's that's definitely a reference to the fact that Michener kind of caused the death of that man in the last episode that the mobster killed. And then when uh, little Frank says, isn't that cheating? And uh, his dad kind of gives a double take about the whole cheating thing. Okay, talk to you later. This is it. Last one. You can send as many as you like, Steve. Uh, read like your voicemails overall. But yeah, I definitely got that one with the kids uh, when uh, when they said, Dad, isn't that cheating? <laughs> to uh, to Peter Kraft. And he was like, I got a second. What do they mean by that? <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, interesting with uh, with Lewis um, referencing the fact that he caused the death of someone in uh, the previous episode. But I don't know, Lewis, Mr., did he cause the death of, uh, of the guy at the end of the last episode? He, got, he caused the death of his two friends by making them follow the Nazis up into the mountains and they got killed by the Nazis they were following, I suppose. Mm. So maybe he's, uh, maybe that's the deaths that he's regretting. It could be. Additionally as well, I think that we may find out that there has been other Nazi hunters who have lost maybe. their lives. 
so yeah. far, but it's it, again, we're at the halfway mark. I think this is the beginning where we start to find the dirty deeds of everything. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Steve, uh, for that. Um, yeah, I think the Tom and Trevor, that uh, with the game of sorry and cheating, I think was, uh, that was a really kind of nice little subtle p- touch to that. Um, and, uh, I, yes, the, 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 the guy, um, Mr. Benson, who was, uh, Taken home by Elsie certainly did die. The fake Mr. Benson, yes. yes fake yes. Mr. Benson. Yeah. He is gone. Mm-hmm. And Magda's the devil, I think. Yeah, I think Magda's a demon. Um, so, um, we'll see. Yeah, definitely a representation of that. But, but was my most interesting point of the episode, I think, was, was, uh, Rio's version trying to tempt, um, Matteo away from his Christianity to follow uh, some ancient gods. Just thought that was an interesting little touch in this show as well. So, uh, yeah, some great points. Thanks for watching, Steve. Hopefully we'll hear from you again for next week's episode. Our last thing to do in this episode, as always, is a lot of people's favorite part of this episode, our Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Yes, fellow Dreadfuls, it is the Dreadful pub quiz. Um, remember, once you've had a 10 cent dance, grab a bottle of wine, head home for a good old Chinese dinner for this week's pub quiz. Yes. The question for episode five of Penny Dreadful is what swashbuckling action movie was advertised when Tiago and Lewis went to visit Officer James Riley's Sonora Town Honey Sophia? So I'll just repeat that. What swashbuckling action movie was advertised when Tiago and Lewis went to visit Officer James Riley's Sonora Town Honey Sophia. Yes. Um, but you can't say that a third time fast. No, I can't. That is one <laughs> yeah. mouthful of a question um, for sure. But please send in your answer to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can uh, just... Put the episode number into the title um, and just provide uh, the answer uh, if if you want to join us. Or you can send them all uh, in to us in, in one go uh, for our last podcast of uh, the Penny Dreadful City of Angels run that we do. So keep your answers coming in uh, and you'll be in with a chance to win some goodies mm-hmm. for sure. Some dreadful Some goodies. dreadful goodies, yes. Yeah. That should be our episode 501, uh, should be our Penny Dreadful recap, so we can keep episode 500 separate from the individual show, so we can have 501. Uh, it will be just about Penny Dreadful and our wrap-up on uh, on City of Angels. Yes. Excellent. Thanks so much for that, John. Do you want to give that question one more time, really, or do you not want to give it again? Yes. Uh, I'll repeat that question one more time. What was the swashbuckling action movie that was advertised when Tiago and Lewis went to visit Officer Jane Riley's Sonoratown Honey Sophia? Excellent. If you want to catch all the questions that we've given for the Penadrophal pub quiz so far, you can pop over to our website tvpodcastindustries.com there's a page up there that has all the questions uh, detailed out there so in case you happen to miss one in our coverage uh, so far you can check them there or just listen back to all the podcasts and towards the end we give out the questions <laughs> just do that just exactly. do that give us the listen give us the download absolutely you know you want to. thanks so much once again for joining us thanks to everybody that's rated us over on itunes thanks to everybody that's been sending their feedback sending their thoughts and supporting us over on patreon we'll be back next week with our discussion of Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 6, How It Is With Brothers. Badly. 
I'm, I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I'm just go. It's. Bad. I've got four brothers. It's I know how it goes with brothers. <laughs> it's always fighting. Always punching. Bad <laughs> punching. Like just yeah, it's it goes badly. Yes, thank you so much, dreadful listeners, uh, and we will be back as. Derek says very soon. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow Dreadfuls. Um, we'll be back with you very, very soon. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep praying. Bye. 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 Bye.